0: Welcome to Optimal Health
1: Uncovered. We are a group of health and wellness professionals in the New York metropolitan area where our mission is to empower you to live better. From specific injuries to general fitness trends, diets to sleep habits, our group of specialists are dedicated to bringing you the latest evidence-based research on the topics that matter most. Welcome to this session of Optimal Health Uncovered.
0: Welcome to Optimal Health Uncovered. I'm Todd, and I'm Mike. And today we're going to be talking about fasting. Exciting, what do you think, Mike. I love it. Exciting topic comes up often for us in the clinic, so we'll dig in. What do you know about
1: fasting? Anything good? Uh, uh, I know nothing, so this is going to be a very quick podcast. Um, yeah, I know a good amount. And just tell me where you want to start, and we'll go from there. I, I, I know you fast. I fast on a regular basis, and uh, I probably one of the top wellness type questions that I get every day from clients. So I think it's going to be a very interesting topic to go over. I agree. I am in the middle
0: of a 24 hour fast today, dinner to dinner. So we'll see how this podcast podcast goes. Not, yeah, there you go. There's the stumble bit. number yeah, one stumble, right there. A little fogginess happening here. We know lots of positive benefits of fasting, you know, anything from changes in how our cells respond, reduction in oxidative stress, benefits for heart health, Uh, there's been some studies in animal models looking at, uh, benefits on, uh, for Alzheimer's and cancer prevention. So let's just start with, you know, overall positive benefits of, uh, fasting and some of these things. Let's tackle some of these things as far as uh, the positive effects
1: on the body. Sure. I mean, let's, I guess, define it first, right? So fasting is just the intentional, or I guess sometimes unintentional. We're talking about it for intentional purposes. We're lucky enough to not be in a population where we're deprived of food. We'd be elect to do this. Um, so we're fasting for the purposes of caloric restriction, which promotes some positive health benefits. So there's many of those, and, and we'll dive into to each of them. So, you know, I think one of the biggest things to go over is just, you know, what fasting does to metabolism. Um, One of the reasons people do it most commonly is to lose weight, um, to lower blood sugar levels and to get healthier that way. There's other, the reason I do it is more longevity effects and what it could do to promote, you know, a positive health span, you know, not just lifespan, but health span being healthier, older in life, preventing diseases. Um, So it's anything from the spectrum. So if you were to Google it and, you know, you get, you know, WebMD or, Health line or medline, it, it would show that it improves immunity, it increases longevity, it can decrease your uh, increase your fat metabolism and thus decrease your weight. So weight loss purposes, uh, higher levels of energy, mental clarity, uh, you can go as far as decreasing potentially Alzheimer's risk and dementia. so you kind of get all of that if you do a search but rather than going into you know each of those, I think it's easier just to go over kind of what fasting does. As a whole, and then you can kind of then you can extrapolate it to, to pretty much every bodily function.
0: So let's talk about the, the weight loss component there. Uh, basically, the thought was okay, calorie restriction or reduction in calories. Is
1: that it, or is there more to it? Uh, there's a little bit more to it, yeah. So first of all, there's gender differences, which I think we need to talk about for sure, because the differences between men and women and how they respond to fasting actually can be a, a, a Drastic difference. So for most of the studies in fasting, if you look at the whole literature, very few just study women. I was really only able to find one. Um, Even of those 200 some odd studies, only like 17 even included women in their studies. So it's disproportionately studied in men. So in men, um, more so than women, it increases fat metabol- It increases your metabolism as a whole. Basically your body goes into self-preservation mode. You're depriving it of the energy needed. So it kind of utilizes its own energy stores. Most of that comes from fat. So you're burning fat as fuel versus storing fat. So going back to say hunter-gatherer times, kind of how our DNA is still set up to this day, we went through periods, our ancestors, I should say, went through periods of not having food. We're in the Modern Modern life have the availability of food pretty much at all times, so we're not typically going to that state where we would be using our own energy stores, so what that uh, causes us to do is to store fat and never really burn it off as fuel and kind of you know use our own blood glucose over and over again because we're constantly refeeding so by by fasting you're tip um, by fasting you're tapping into that's what I was looking for you're tapping into just your body's natural fat metabolism so in doing so. Overall basal metabolic rate can uh, increase. Your um, fat percentage can go down over time if you're doing it because you're using that as fuel. In women, however, it actually has a little bit of a different effect. It slows your metabolism. It can cause you to store fat. Um, they think it has to do with both, uh, leptin and ghrelin, which are two hunger hormones. They're still kind of studying it. So I get, uh, most of the the clients that I work with kind of are in that middle age female, uh, population. And we have this conversation pretty frequently that fasting, not all fasting is created equal. So there's some more, uh, preliminary research on more fasting mimicking diet where there are eating some calories, lower amount of calories versus full fasting. And they're not, it's not really recommended that they're fasting for as prolonged periods of time. So we'll go into different timeframes yeah. and windows, and but that's just kind of out there. Since you mentioned fat metabolism, I think it's important to note that men and women respond differently. That's a good point. And we'll talk a, a
0: little bit about that later on when we dig into the different types of intermittent fasting and uh, exactly the differences between men and women, and make some recommendations based on what uh, the research is, is showing us. How about uh, overall reduction in oxidative stress and inflammation in the body? You know, how do we? How does fasting help change the cells and reduce that uh, oxidative stress?
1: So fasting turns on this, it basically, again, forces you into self-preservation mode. So your cells become more resistant to stress. They have less energy demands and they begin to self-repair. So that self-repair process is called autophagy. Um, Autophagy basically is your self-cleanup process where there's damaged proteins, there's damaged cells in our DNA every day that happens just from exposure to environmental toxins, food, stress, right? We call that oxidative stress. So our body Has a natural antioxidant producing capacity called autophagy, where we kind of clean those out. It doesn't really kick in as much unless we're fasting and fasting for prolonged periods of time. So, you know, our ancestors, although we didn't have the availability to study, you know, cancer risk, et cetera, by fasting may have cleaned up some of these cellular byproducts that then cause diseases. And two diseases that are most notable out there that can be helped with autophagy are the proteins that linger in the body that if we're cleaning them up, we have a lower risk for our cancer. And then it's also been studied pretty intensely with beta amyloid protein, which is present in Alzheimer's and dementia. So some of these studies uh, I was reading,
0: a lot of it done on animals, anything in human studies yet with that?
1: Uh, so very few. Yeah, so autophagy, is it's hard to study outside of a lab because you're looking at a cellular level. So I actually haven't found, Maybe I may be wrong that there isn't any, but I haven't found any studies in humans um, regarding cellular autophagy. Um, so it's kind of a link or a jump, I should say, from the available research that autophagy is kind of studied more in a lab, but what the research does show is it's not going to happen, um, with a shorter fast, 12 to 16 hours probably isn't enough. Cellular autophagy, you're looking at more like 24 to 48 hour fasts, sometimes 72 hour fasts to get the positive autophagy effects.
0: Now, some of those fast taking, uh, you know, doing that in a supervised or unsupervised, um, you know, environment it's often something you'll read kind of, uh, in the literature as far as recommended or not recommended, you know, how comfortable are most people, you know, is it that 24 hour, 48 hour period before you're, you're kind of pushing it and it should be medically supervised.
1: Yeah. What I recommend to my clients is if you're going to start, start slower, start, you know, if you haven't done a 12 hour fast, if you're just waking up and eating all the time, right. Or not all the time, but you're waking up and you're in the habit of eating breakfast, you know, we're, we're, the misnomer that it's the most important meal of the day. It's a, it's an important meal, but breakfast, as the name implies, means breaking the fast. If you're not actually fasting, it's not really breakfast. It's just another meal. So I encourage people to eat when they're first hungry to start. And often that is just kind of, deprogramming, just wake up and eat, and I need energy to, to fuel that. That's not really true if you if you read some of the research out there. So start slow. You know, for some individuals that never fast, to start with 12. If you want to start, I, I recommend kind of a 16-8, just a restricted food window. What we mean by that is 16 hours of non-eating, eight-hour food window. So if you have your last meal at, say, um, 10, you know, your first meal, oh, that's that's not a good example. If your last meal is, say, eight at night, uh, then your first meal is going to be 12 noon the next day. Did I do the math correctly on that? Okay. All right. Well, you you get the point. 16 hours later is your first meal. Um, And I think that's an easier way to start, you know, wrapping your head around, incorporating the sleep period into the fast. Because if you're sleeping effectively for, you know, eight hours then you know, you're, that's half that's of the right fast there. right there. You know, so I think it's daunting when you first think of it. So I encourage people to start there. But to answer your question in terms of longer fasts, I do advise everybody, you know, talk to your medical practitioner about it. Um, if you have a PCP, if there's any reasons why you shouldn't fast. If you're on medications, for example, you know, a lot of those medications can interact positively with food and you don't want to necessarily take them on an empty stomach. So uh, that it's, it's easy to kind of read something online and then start doing it, but you do want to talk to somebody about it. So
0: you rate you started to dig into a type of fasting
1: called that sixteen eight, and you talked about starting
0: with the twelve hour fast. I agree, and I usually recommend the same thing. Start, you know, if you're eating, you know, six meals a day, and your wind your current eating window starts from the time you get out of bed at seven and ends at ten o'clock at night. You're not leaving a lot a lot of time, so I usually recommend to my clients shortening that down and just taking an hour or two off of each end until uh, their body accommodates and. It gets easier with time, uh, until the point where you have that longer fast. Uh, as long as we've transitioned and you started talking about that sixteen eight, let's talk about the other types of intermittent fasting. The sixteen eight, as as you stated, trying to get your eating window into an eight hour window, uh, you know, and then sixteen hours of fasting. As you stated earlier, for women, that sixteen hour window is not Uh, recommended. It's usually a shorter fast period. Uh, This is something, uh, a a fasting uh, protocol that's gained a lot of traction in the last couple of years here. So how many people do you have using this type of eating
1: uh, window? I think most people... Not most people. More often than not, people have tried fasting at this point. I think most people do start kind of with a sixteen eight, and they kind of start with like a 5-2 protocol where they're starting by eating normally five days and then fasting for two. And a lot of people now are doing kind of more of a fasting mimicking diet, which is a restricted caloric intake, so usually five I'm sorry 500 calories or less, doing that for a period of five days and then reintegrating normal eating for two days after that. Some people do that monthly. Some people do that quarterly. Some people just end up doing fasting mimicking, you know, on a a repeated basis. And I think there's a benefit to any type of fasting. So it's like exercise. You you have to start somewhere. It's better to exercise than not. I think it's better to fast than not. Um, And you just have to figure out what works best for your body. And I think the gender difference is, is one thing I point to. And then just lifestyle and what you're able to do. If you're somebody that, you know, you're breaking your fast at 12, but at 12 o'clock, you're always in a very important meeting and you can't get to it, right? You may have to find something a little bit different. So uh, that's where I encourage people to start. The longer periods of fasting, if someone is interested in that, um, which I think has huge health benefits, you know, I am I do it kind of once a quarter. It's kind of all my brain and um, my family can tolerate because I get cranky. Um, but some people do it, you know, once a week and some people do it on a regular basis. So I think there's some deleterious effects of doing it too often. You don't want to go into starvation state. Uh, but I think if you start from somewhere and then just kind of work up and figure out what your goals are.
0: Yeah. And to your point, you, you kind of talked about the 5-2 diet twice a week, trying it once a week, once a month, once a quarter. You have to find what works for you. Uh, I started the 24-hour fast and I was doing it quarterly and now I'm to once a month. It just feels good on my body, just fasting that one t- 24 hour fast once a month. There are people that do that. They get eat, stop eating. They're doing it 24 hour fast, a couple times a week, two, three times a week or alter, alternative days of fasting. But to your point, instead of just the all water based fast or non caloric fast, it's, it's more of this reduced calorie diet where we're looking at 500 calories for women probably around 600 for men. Uh, Dr. Longo, uh, is doing a lot of research on that. And I think he's actually at a company, ProLon, Prolon yeah. yeah, yeah, that you know he packages this stuff up and
1: guides people. And he, he that that company is marketed based on research. And Walter Longo is kind of the the person that has most of the research out there on there. So and, and it's university based and it's a lot of randomized control trials. Do so I, I do study it? Uh, it is studied, I should say. So I don't think it's nonsense, but I think. um, it is proprietary, his Perlon supplements. You kind of have to look at it and, and see what's out there. They do promote cellular cleanup and autophagy with it. So to your question of has it ever been studied in, in adults, I have to come back with a, a more thorough answer on that. To my knowledge, it, it's been tough to study outside of a lab setting. So can he uh, follow through on that? I, I'm not sure. I think most people's experience with prolon that I've I've had have been very positive. I think. Women love it, and specifically if you're looking at somebody who needs some calories because of these gender differences where women have with just true all-in fasting, they're not taking in anything, uh, increased cortisol, decreased insulin sensitivity, some of the negative effects, those can be mitigated by the fasting-mimicking diet where you are taking in some calories. So I, I tend to recommend a fasting-mimicking diet, whether it be prolonged or otherwise, of just lower intake of 500 calories or less uh, for women versus going to a, a longer fast period. And Another good way to just the complete water fasting
0: is difficult sometimes. So just, you know, giving people some calories. Yeah. I guess we could talk about
1: that. So when I fast, I I'd have black coffee. Like I can't live without it. Um, it's pretty much non-caloric or very low caloric, depending on what, what type of coffee you are having. I don't put anything in it. Um, so I still take that. So some people wouldn't even call that a fast, like the purists. Um, so really we're talking about, you know, food by mouth for the most part or calories in drinks and, and beverages. Now, what about the question that comes up, uh, What if you put Trubia, natural sweetener, non-caloric? Is that considered breaking that type of fast? Again, I think it depends who you're talking to. If you talk to me and you were talking about calories, no, it doesn't really for me. Um, In terms of a compound going into your body that could have a cellular effect that needs to be processed, then sure, it's not the truest sense of fasting. Um, and then there's also like the religious end of fasting where, you know, there's, there's spiritual implications and things like that. So that's where you're just really depriving yourself for that purpose, which is a whole other end of the spectrum. Um, and that would be basically water only fast or some are even doing non-water fast, which I think can get a little bit dangerous. Yeah. We talk about the fasting being this hot trend, but it's been around for centuries. Yeah, forever. Nothing we talk about in the podcast is new because all this stuff has been out forever. We just repackage it, repurpose it. And then we can't finally catch up with the historic wisdom. Talk to me about cardiovascular benefits
0: uh, for fasting. You know, I was reading some studies that, you know, longer, prolonged fasts met. These were medically supervised fasts. You know, you know, anywhere from four to twenty-one days. That there was a significant risk reduction in uh, blood pressure. I mean, 20, 30 points change, which is pretty significant. And this was taking a look at a population. That, you know, obviously had significantly elevated blood pressure, but making changes like that uh, uh, can affect lots of things. And we know that cardiovascular disease is, you know, one of the chronic disease that kills most, uh, you know, humans, right? So most Americans, anyhow, with our diets. Uh, talk a little bit about the cardiovascular response to fasting.
1: Well, you just touched on one. It can lower... Blood uh, pressure levels, it's lower resting heart rate. Like anyone who's had a big meal and then tracked via wearable what their their heart rate levels are, your body is is basically your heart is pumping at a faster rate because you're kind of feeding that digestive process with blood and oxygen and nutrients necessary to do that. So by slowing your metabolic processes, by slowing the demand, you're you're lowering all those cardiovascular factors. So it should lower heart rate, should lower blood pressure. Uh, and then there's obviously the blood glucose levels of it, which if we talk about heart disease in the U.S. specifically, that's the biggest you know factor. You could have maybe elevated blood cholesterol, but if you have low blood, uh, so your blood lipids can be up and a little bit elevated cholesterol, but you have low blood glucose, you tend to be okay. If the two of them are high, that's kind of the the recipe for disaster. So... Um, by lowering blood glucose levels, by making your body a little bit more sensitive to insulin, which is that hormone that takes the blood glucose and gets it out of the blood into the cells to be stored, um, then, then you're doing yourself a, a lot of good. You're lowering your, your risk for diabetes, and you, that's one of the, in terms of U.S. mortality, right? that's one of the biggest issues that we deal with. Yeah,
0: as to your point of the blood insulin level, you know, significant reductions in some studies up to 20 to 31% with just intermittent fasting protocols. Uh, what, what kind of nuggets can we give to the uh, listening audience as far as uh, this, this intermittent fasting and overall health and well being? And you, you spoke earlier about you're doing it for the effects of lung longevity on your body as we, you know, talk more with clients, with individuals, this conversation comes up around dinner tables all the time. Uh, you know, what, what would you leave our audience with?
1: I'd say there's nuance to all of this. You have to first establish your goal. Why do I want to fast? Do I want to just fast? Cause you know, my, neighbors doing it or my friends doing it? If so, why are they doing it? Why would I want to do it? Am I doing it for blood? Uh, am I doing it for um, blood metrics like we just talked about, like cardiovascular decreasing cardiovascular risk, improving longevity, You know that autophagy mechanism. Or am I doing it just to lose a little bit of weight and, you know, feel better? So based on the answers to those questions, it could dictate what's right for you. Am I male? Am I female? Like those, those make a difference. So don't just jump into something without researching. So I think if you're an athlete, for example, you know, you may not want to fast right before a competition. Like I, I train in a fasted state, but I've been doing it a while and I'm not competing at a high level. It's just my own workouts. So if you're looking at, you know, NFL players, for example, they looked at this a couple of years ago, there was two players. Um, they were brothers, I believe, that um, were Muslim, and, and they were in camp during Ramadan, right? And then they had to refeed, like, and it was like down to a science, where during that food window that they were allowed to eat, they they took in like thirty five hundred calories, kind of all at once, and they were able to get through. But their performance, obviously, wasn't optimal during that time. So it just highlights that not everyone should be doing this just because it's positive for you. You should look at the reasons why you're doing it, and where you are in your training cycle, where you are um, within if you're an athlete. So I think. The build-up process, you know, that's something that you need fuel for. The The breakdown autophagy process and kind of rebooting, that's something you can deprive yourself of nutrients for, and it's a balance between the two. Um, so don't just jump all in, start slow, uh, and realize why you're doing it, and work with someone who's either done it before or, or has some type of medical background in it. I would recommend reading, you know, the research. Uh, Walter Longo is, is one of the experts in this, whether it be doing his fasting mimicking or otherwise. He does put out a lot of good research out of it. Some, some university in California, I can't remember which one it is, USC maybe. I think uh,
0: that's, a, that's a good point as far as reading what's out there. But you know, when you start to dig in and you're adding training and conditioning and just changing something within your regular routine, it's probably a good idea to talk to a healthcare practitioner who is uh, knowledgeable in this area uh, to guide you along the way with this. Um, anything else in closing uh, that we want to leave the audience with?
1: No, I mean, I think it's definitely something to consider specifically now when a lot of individuals are working from home, never before has been, food has always been more available in modern times, but never before has it been this available for so many people. So get the conversation pretty much every day from clients of like, uh, I'm just constantly snacking or I'm just, I walk by the fridge and I open it. Like I would never be around it if I was in the office. So I think it's an important thing to stay disciplined now and implement it now. Uh, it's easier when you're busy with something. So the other pearl would be, you know, do it at a time where you have things scheduled. It's very hard, at least for me, mentally, to do it if I have nothing going on, or if I'm just hanging around my kids, or if I'm, you know, the caregiver and I'm feeding my kids and I'm seeing the food. Like we're we're very we're like Pavlov's dogs. We're conditioned to be hungry for food if we see it. So try to keep yourself busy. Get out, exercise, spend time away from any food sources, like our ancestors did. No, I completely agree. If if I'm busy, a fast
0: goes, goes by, uh, you know, without much of a hurdle, If I'm sitting there around the kids or I'm at home or there's food out or we're in a meeting and someone's eating, it's very hard to push through. I think one other thing we didn't discuss today is coming in and out of the fasting periods and around that, the types of food that we're consuming, you know, people sometimes think, oh, I'm fasted. And then they, it doesn't mean go right back to the junk food, you know, Healthy options, and a lot of the studies that are out there, you know, the real positive benefits where they saw a lot, a lot of great benefits. Where I fasted, and then I'm in either a plant based or you know some uh, type of diet to where you're making healthier choices with the food you're selecting, or you know your periods where you are doing your 500 calories, the type of food you're selecting during those periods of the rest- restricted eating are very important. Uh, so not to just say, uh, you can fast and then eat whatever you want. It's, you know, really be s- selective and choose healthier
1: foods. Exactly. A few carbs go a long way when you're, when you're having no carbs and you're kind of in that state of ketosis, getting back into it with, you know, a lower, more moderate, well-balanced diet is the way to go. Definitely don't you know, have a cheeseburger or jump into you know a sugary diet. Yeah. Well, thanks,
0: Mike. This has been a, a real quick podcast for us, but I think very informative as far as a, a topic that comes up often for us. So we want to thank everyone for joining us today for another episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. Uh, as for my co-host, Mike, I'm Todd, and uh, we'll see you soon. Have a great day.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. If you have questions for us or want to hear about something specific in an upcoming episode, send an email to podcast at performance-pt.com. And be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more tips on optimal health. Until next time, be well.